Have any of you ever walked into like a conversation that was already happening and you just walk in and you start talking and you realize that it's a little bit heavier than you thought it was? Like you kind of ruin the vibe a little bit. Has anybody ruined the vibe before? Just me? I'm a vibe ruiner. It happens. What about, have you ever like walked into a room that you thought was empty and it wasn't? And maybe you were singing or something or if it was the bathroom, that's the worst one. That's the worst room to walk into when someone else is in it. Um, One time... Uh, Sean and I and one of our good friends, Paul, we went up to a uh, men's retreat and it was up in the mountains in a really cool ranch and it was in January. So there was all the snow and everything like that. Um, and I walked into a situation like that. This is the number two most embarrassing moment of my entire life. All right. It is. You ever, you ever have like an embarrassing moment that you just like, God, I will give anything to get that moment back. Anybody have any of those? This is one of those for me. So we were at this retreat, and it was really cool because you have like some small group time, and God was like doing some really cool things um, in our lives, and some really good worship, and it's really awesome. And then we have free time, and free time is great. It's great, but when you're in the mountains in like a ranch, it's like outside is just snow. And so Paul and I were a little bit ambitious, and we're like, let's go sledding. And they had like children's sleds, like plastic saucer things. And I'm, I look different than I did when I was a kid. Same-ish weight, but different. And so uh, Paul and I are like, let's go sledding. And we go up to Sean and we're like, Sean, do you want to go sledding? It's this Sean, so you know. It's Sean, Pastor Sean. Like, Sean, do you want to go sledding? You remember what you said, Sean? No. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said, he said no, I'm not going to go sledding with you guys. It's like, all right, we'll go sledding. So we went outside and the type of snow that it was then was like the sugar snow. It wasn't, you can't pack it down. You just like sink straight into it. You guys know what I'm talking about? That type of powder. So we're going to go sledding in this. And it's way steep. It is huge snow drifts. And we're trying to like, where the ranch house is, is like up this little hill. It's only like 50 feet away. But it took us 35 minutes to get to the top of the hill. Um, And we had snowshoes on. Like it was terrible. It was awful. Um, Other thing that happened, I didn't have any snow pants. I was just rocking jeans. My legs were freezing. They were freezing, but I wanted to go sledding with my friend, okay? And as we went, as we went, we went sledding, we ended up breaking some child's sled that their parent brought. Uh, we broke it in half, but at the end of free time, we were getting back into our small groups. And in our small groups, what we do is we share like our life story and see if God wanted to basically tell us anything through these guys that were in our group. And it started getting to the time where we needed, it took us 35 minutes to get to the top of the hill. You'd think gravity would help us, but with the sugar snow, it was terrible. So we get back to the house and I'm like five minutes late to, the, to my small group. But I realize I'm in jeans and my, my clothes are soaked. So I'm like, I'm only five minutes late. I'm going to run up to my bedroom. I'm going to change my clothes real quick and I'll come back down. That way I can be comfortable and focus and see what God wants to do. And so I run up, Paul goes straight to his group because he just doesn't care about things like cold. Um, and so I run up to my bedroom and I just open the door and I immediately like start changing. And then basically what happened was I didn't realize there was a small group in my room at that time, Sean's small group. So I'm, I bust open the door and I start changing my pants first because they're, they're soaked. And about, my pants weren't all the way off. They weren't all the way on. And I, and I, hear, I start hearing this voice. And I'm hearing, and someone is sharing in their small group about a childhood trauma they had. And I'm talking like the worst of the worst traumas. And I'm next to the door 
trying to get my wet jeans either on or off. I'm trying to figure out which one's better at this point. It is, I am, my, it was the worst. It was the worst. But what's nice is like there's a bathroom really close. Like I opened the door and my bed's right here and there's a bathroom right here and the small group's like right there. And so I like waddle over and someone's in the bathroom. Someone's in the bathroom and it's locked. And so I'm caught there and I look at Sean and Sean goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't. And so I try and do the thing where you step on your jeans, you know, to get them off. And so I'm like doing this, and I finally get them off. I get my sweatpants on, and I get out of there as fast as I can. And that was day one of the retreat. I had to face those people for three more days the whole time. If I had, if I had known what happened at the beginning, like if I would have known the, the beginning that, oh, there's a small group in there before I opened the door, it would have changed everything. It would have changed everything. And I wouldn't have had the second most embarrassing. You guys don't get the first one tonight. That's a different night. But beginnings are important. Knowing the beginning of a story is super important. And we can learn a lot about where we want to go and where we don't want to go by looking at where it began. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Tonight, I want to look at one of the most talked about chapters in the entire Bible. And if there's ever a chapter in the Bible that so greatly impacted history, it's this one and about a thousand other chapters in the Bible because the Bible is really good. You should read it, okay? Read your Bibles for sure. But this chapter specifically, like I have a, I have a study that, that I've done multiple times and this is like week one. It's like Genesis 3 is the story. It's one of the, one of the most influential chapters in the entire Bible. And it's about what many call it is the fall of man, is the fall of man. It's the story of when it all went wrong. It's the story of when Eve picked the apple and ate it. And then all of a sudden we have sin and we're born in this, in this life of struggle and of turmoil. It's that story. That's what I want to talk about tonight. But I am hoping and praying that those of us that are familiar with this story can get a different outlook from God's perspective on this story. Because I think when we read this story from our perspective, we can easily see how we don't measure up. But if we look at this story from God's perspective, I think we're going to get a different outlook and a different outcome as we look at Genesis 3. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, if you don't know um, much about Genesis or the Bible in general, um, I'll give you a quick overview of the first two chapters. God created everything. That's pretty much what happened, all right, in the first two chapters. What's really cool about it, though, is God spoke about 90% of the stuff into existence. He just said, let there be light. And light's like, deal, we're here. I'm here, whatever light says. And God says, let there be basically gravity and the water separated. So he just speaks things out and stuff was created. The animals, the trees, the mountains, oceans, all of that stuff was created just by God's words. But... When it came to us on day six, Adam and Eve, he stooped down and he formed Adam from the dust of the ground with his own hands. He didn't, he didn't just speak Adam into existence. He took the time to make Adam with his own hands. And then God breathed his own life into Adam and that's how Adam came to life. That is the creation of mankind. And that's what it says in the Bible. And that's what I believe how it actually happened with all my heart. I absolutely believe that. And so we look at creation and then God puts Adam and Eve as he made them and breathed life into them into this place called the Garden of Eden, which is paradise. Eden is like defined as paradise. And paradise is awesome. I mean, think of what your paradise would be. My paradise would for sure have Chick-fil-A in it and not Popeye's. I'm just not a Popeye's fan. 
I'm just not a Popeyes fan. I don't know if you guys are. But think about what your paradise could be like. Mine would have a lot of fishing and hunting in it. I really enjoy those things. Um, and PUBG, I do like PUBG as well. But it's fun, it's fun. And paradise should be fun. And when you think about what that could look like, it's Adam and Eve, it's the best part of everything they could have hoped for. And it's this huge garden, but God gave them just one rule. And in chapter two, he says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's just one tree. It's one tree in the middle of the garden. Now there's a tree called the tree of life. You can eat from that, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat that fruit. But he gives Adam and Eve job to just steward the garden, tend to it. And then we come to chapter three in Genesis. This is just the third chapter in the entire Bible. So if you start from the very beginning, third chapter, you'll hit this. So before we jump in, I just want to pray real quick. Jesus, we love you. We know that you want to do something special tonight, God. So I pray you can open our eyes. You can open our ears. And God, let your words soak deep into our hearts, knowing, God, that you care about where we came from, can you care about where we're going to? So Jesus, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for what you're doing in your heavenly name. Amen. All right, let's jump in. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Right here, it starts with, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, and the Lord God, the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you might, hold on, there's a snake talking, first of all. That should be your first piece of advice from Will's advice book. If the snake talks, kill it. <laughs> if a snake is talking, kill it. Get it with a shovel or a fire or somebody, Boris, probably is skilled at, at killing snakes. You'd think that my first thought when I read this for the first time literally was like, why wasn't Eve like, Adam, it's talking to me, kill it. Like, why didn't she immediately just, maybe it's like Narnia in paradise and all the animals talk to you too, I don't know. How it works, but the snake starts talking and said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And we'll keep on going. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, it's so interesting right here, because if you read chapter one and two, which I summed up for you, God never told Eve to not touch the fruit. He actually told Adam and Eve to like tend the garden. And what I would assume is that is like, you have to pick up rotten fruit. Does anybody have a fruit tree before? You've had like fruit, thousands of trees, Brittany. But like, if a fruit tree drops all of its fruit, it gets nasty and rotten quick. And I had an apricot tree once and I let, it, I let it go because I was lazy, to be completely honest. And I had to shovel the rotten fruit out. And so if, if you have to tend the garden, you're gonna have to probably pick up stuff. But it's interesting that Eve adds to God's command. So I'm like, why did Eve add to God's command? And I think it's because what the devil said to her. And I know, well, it's a snake. Is it a snake or is it the devil? Well, it's both. All right, Revelation 12 defines Satan as a serpent, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Deceiving. Jesus himself called Satan the father of lies. So his goal, Satan's goal is to lie. So the first thing Satan says is, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the trees of the garden? So he's getting Eve to doubt God. How many of us have had doubts about things before? I mean, all of us have doubted things before. But I think there's a lot of things that come to doubt in our own faith and in our own hearts because the enemy is trying to also, and where we're at right now, 
speak lies to us. So starts getting Eve to doubt God's character. In Genesis uh, 3, now verses 4 through 6, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened so as, you, as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. And I think those four words right there are some of the most like, saddest words in the Bible. The woman was convinced. Man, the, the devil didn't even have like a PowerPoint. And she was convinced. Like he didn't have a projector or anything. Like there was no sales pitch. There wasn't like, I got candy. It was, all he said was he got, he got Eve to doubt. Got Eve to doubt. That's it. Doubt then led to being convinced. That's so interesting to me. She was convinced that quick. She saw that the tree was beautiful. That's the other thing. All of a sudden, she's in paradise. And now she sees that this tree is beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. You know what I also think is really interesting is that Adam was with her the whole time. Didn't say a word. Didn't try and protect his wife. Didn't try and speak up at all. He was with her the whole time. That's so interesting to me as well. The first thing I want to point out tonight is that there is an enemy out to deceive us. There's an enemy out to deceive us. And like I said before, if we learn more about what the beginning looked like, we're going to learn more about what the end looks like. But I think that in-between part that we're living in right now can be really clearly set up by knowing how it all started. And the enemy is out to deceive us. He's out to deceive us. There is an enemy and he's out to deceive us. I also want to be clear that there are two chapters in the Bible right before this one that the enemy is not mentioned. Like there's no enemy in chapter one and chapter two. It's not until God has made people and they are in this, this garden and then he sets up a command. That's when the enemy all of a sudden has shown up. God never intended us, intended for us to do battle with the devil for eternity. He never intended for us to live against temptation and all this stuff for eternity. John chapter 10, 10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now this is Jesus talking. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Who wants a rich and satisfying life? That sounds like Eden right there. I can get all the Chick-fil-A I want to be a red status member on the app. That's right. Understanding that there's an enemy And that he's trying to steal, to kill, and destroy, which is exactly what he did to Adam and Eve. He stole eternity from them, right? He stole. He basically led them to death, killing. And now he's just trying to destroy everything else in the future. He's stealing, killing, destroying. He's trying to do the same thing right now. He's after your purity. He's after your faith. He's after your hope. He's after your future. He's after your parents' relationships. He's after your relationships. The devil is alive and he is trying to get after you, but there's still hope. This A.W. Tozer, who's this really awesome guy that studied God for a long time and had really cool, smarter things than I can say, I wanna show you what he said. He said this, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got judo I've never heard of, which I just think is like, you got judo I've never heard of. I mean, the devil can handle like, if it's just me against the devil, that's like me against Conor McGregor. It's like 40 seconds, okay? But he can't handle, the devil cannot handle the one whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. 
See, I by myself am weak, but if we believe that if you give your life and you've accepted Jesus as not only your Lord and Savior, you're gonna live your life for him, you are joined to him. You're, his nature dwells in your nature. So when the devil comes against you, he's coming against God who created everything. And so now all of a sudden we have this enemy that's against us, but he can't stand. He's, we have this enemy that's against us, but he's not really going to win. And that's mapped out even in the beginning as well as the end. We might not have what it takes, but Jesus has what it takes. I may not be enough, but he is enough in me. And so if I'm joined to him, I have access to victory. I have access to power and I have access to love, which the devil has none of those things. All right, let's jump back into the story. Genesis 3, 7 through 8. So Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. They eat the fruit. They disobey God. And it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So they hid from him among the trees. I want to look at what our response to sin is right here, what man's response, what the first people's response was. Remember how we talked about the fall of man. We read this chapter, it's like, this is where it all went wrong. This is where it all went terrible. Now we have a life of suffering. Like what was man's response to sin? Man's first response to sin was shame, hiding, and fear. They were shamed, then they hid, and they were afraid. It's so interesting that, isn't that kind of our same response today? When we mess up, is we're ashamed of it? And we want to hide it? And then we're afraid if it ever comes to light, right? The pattern's really, really similar. I remember one time I actually broke an entire bottle of maple syrup on our brand new hardwood floor my mom just put in. That was <laughs> not good, but pancakes are. Um, <laughs> so I thought. And so it was a huge bottle of maple syrup, and I thought I would toss it on the counter, um, and it hit the counter and then went off the counter and exploded. And so I immediately was like, you have that, that second of like, oh, no, like I might die today sort of feeling. Um, so I cleaned it all up. But again, I'm just a chubby little elementary schooler at this point. So I just had paper, dry paper towels, and I'm trying to clean up syrup. <laughs> So I cleaned it up, and I think I did a good job. And I was like, I'm not getting busted for this one. Mom left it at the grocery store. We don't have any syrup, right? And so I immediately, you know, I was ashamed, but then I tried and hide it. And then I had that fear of when mom gets home. But I was kind of confident. I was like, I think I did a good job, right? She walked on that floor, and it was like, and then Will was grounded really soon after, really soon after. But it's the same sort of pattern, shame, hiding, and fear. So shame is something that doesn't just work against us when we sin, but isn't it weird how shame works against us when we look in the mirror, though? Shame works against us when we think of other people's opinions of us, too. Or when we guess what other people's opinions might be. We're ashamed, somehow. Isn't it weird how you can be awake for the first minute of the day, and you look in the mirror, and you're ashamed of something? The way your eyes look, if there's still mascara on from the day before, that's just me. Maybe not you guys. <laughs> just kidding. But it's interesting how shame doesn't just work around things that we did, 
like a sin that we, we did, but shame will work out of what we think we look like or what others think we might look like, or maybe what we sound like. But it's other people's perceptions of us that kind of drives shame inside of us. It's really interesting. But shame is always speaking something to us when we entertain it in our minds. See, that's the thing is like, I can maybe like feel shame coming against me, but as soon as I entertain it, I start giving it power over me. I start giving it power. And so when we accept shame, we accept a lie from the devil. It's just a lie. Remember, he's a deceiver. And so this lie was spoken from the beginning of time. And it says, shame kind of says, the world can't see you for you. You're not good enough. Or the world will say, or shame will say, God says you're not good enough. Remember, he tries to get you to doubt God. Yet when God sees us, he is appalled that we are ashamed of ourselves because it blocks his creation from being seen. Remember how God made us? God stooped down and made us with his own hands and breathed his own life into us. And when we feel shame, we want to try and cover that up, right? That's the next step is hiding. And we try and cover that up. It's like we're covering God's creation. Who are we to cover up what God created? That should be a little sort of, sort of shift in us. See, when God says, sees that we did something wrong, it's all about that we do. So when we do something wrong, God doesn't call out, uh, call out his creation. He calls out the actions that we did. So he'll call out what you did, not who you are. That's wrong. So conviction, that's what conviction is. When, when, when God says we are convicted, it means that, oh, he's, he's calling out an action that we did, something that we did that was wrong. See, conviction says you did something bad, but shame says you are something bad. And so Adam and Eve get this thing of like, I am something bad. So they felt like I had to hide it. They had to hide themselves because they are something bad. Every single time you look in the mirror and you feel ashamed, you think you are something bad. That's what shame is telling you. And it's that lie. But the truth is, when God sees shame, he actually calls you out for who you are, for who you were created to be. When, if you are starting to entertain shame, you'll probably get God or other people in your life starting to call out who you actually are. You look at a simple example of Gideon in the Bible. Gideon was afraid in a wine press, like hiding from the enemy, and God says, you're a mighty warrior. Jesus showed up and said, you're a mighty warrior. I mean, come on, God does not like shame coming against his created at all. And then Adam, they hid, they hid. Adam hid his true nature because he thought less of himself because shame tried to alter who he was. So as soon as he started hiding, it became an issue as well. So he was ashamed, then he went into hiding. But when you try and hide something away, it gives the enemy who rules the darkness time to mess with it. Because if you hide it, you want to put it in the dark, right? The Bible says, who rules in the dark? The devil does. So you put something in the dark long enough, He's going to let it fester and get infected. Think of it like a cut you never, uh, you never think about. You got cut and you just, or, or, you, or you, you, know, you got a bite or something like that and you don't ever address it and it could get infected. It actually become a huge issue later on if you don't have actually get it checked out. It's the same sort of thing. But the truth is God didn't create you to be hidden away. He created you to be shown off. I mean, if God created you, by hand? He spoke everything else into creation. But if he created something by hand, you better believe that's going to be a centerpiece and not a piece of trash. There's been so many times in my life I've called myself trash. And I struggled with a lot of self-image through elementary school. I was bullied relentlessly. 
But that's not who I am, and I know that now. And so if I can war against shame and I can war against hiding, then the next attack is fear. And so jumping back into the story, you can see where fear starts to grip in Genesis 3, and this is verse 9 and 11. And the Lord God called to the man. So God is walking in the garden. He calls out, yo, dog, where are you at? It's basically what he says. He's like, where are you? Because if you think about it, the only people that are walking around is God, Adam, and Eve. That's, that's, that's who it is. So he, then uh, Adam replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. It's kind of funny. Bible said naked just now. <laughs> That's like the second grader in me. But if you think about it, Adam never knew what naked was before. And so that's what God asked him in the very next verse. He says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, and then he asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Have you eaten from the tree? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? See, fear starts to grip us after shame has already tried to lie against us. After we've already tried to hide ourselves away, we're afraid we're going to be found out. And so Adam was afraid because he was naked. He was going to be found out that he was naked. But the truth is God never defined him as naked before and still doesn't define him as naked now. Why? Because God's creation is perfect. Now, I'm not telling y'all you need to be naked, okay? Just to be clear. But our identities that God made us to be should never be hidden underneath anything. Who God created, only you can be you. If the world can't handle you 100%, it doesn't mean you should water yourself down to meet their standards. And fear will tell you that you need to water yourself down. Fear of rejection. Fear of not fitting in. Fear of the future. Fear of comparing yourself to others. All these things the world tries to say, no, you need to like conform to what the world says. But God says, no, no, no. Who told you you were naked? I made you to be you. No one else can be you but you. Our last 4640 conference, Pastor Sarah said that we're created for, for two different destinies. One is to look more like Jesus and one is to more, look more unlike anyone else ever created because he created you unique, just you. Only you can be you, no one else can. So there's shame, there's hiding, and there was fear. See, God created us to be faith-filled, not fearful. Faith is the opposite of fear. So if you can step out and be you in your school, yeah, some people might not like it, but the creator of the universe will. And his opinion is the one that matters. All right, so this is Adam's response to God saying, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Who's a community not to eat? So basically, Adam has to come clean now. Now he's been found out 100%. So now it's like the tail between the legs part. Adam has to actually come clean. This is what he says. Well, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Because it was her fault. You gave me it. She's your deal. You gave her to me. I don't know. Like, he passes the blame so fast. He doesn't even say, yeah, I'm sorry. He didn't even say sorry at all. It was the woman you gave me, and you gave me, which I thought he blames God, kind of. It was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she goes, it was the snake. It was the snake that did it. And so the blame game gets issued when we don't want to own it, right? We don't want to own it. And so Adam didn't want to own it. Eve didn't want to own it. And the snake, well, he's a snake, right? 
he's hopeless already. He's hopeless. He couldn't blame anything else. But it's just interesting that the blame game is also kind of like a next response that we can have um, of when we mess up, we can try and make excuses and things like that. But in light of all of this, in light of like, even though they blamed, I think it's kind of like funny and there's probably something else there. But what I want us to get in light of the fall of man, the entire thing, like God made Adam, made Eve, set him in the garden, set him in paradise, just says, you can eat anything else except this. Don't eat that. Set all of it up, loved them, walked with them. They were in close relationship with God. And Adam and Eve, they ruined it all. What is God's response to Adam and Eve ruining everything, to, to Adam and Eve spitting in his face, to Adam and Eve abandoning everything that they've already known, everything they already love because of what? A tiny sales pitch from a little snake. What is God's response to that? Verse 14, then the Lord God said, not to Adam or the Eve, but to the serpent. Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Tell him, God. Curse snakes. That's biblical, okay? Don't like them. Don't trust them. It's fine with me. But the last part's confusing. It's like, all right, well, this is just Bible speech. It doesn't really mean a lot. Um, and for a lot of years, I breezed past verse 15. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So you get this vision of this dude that is like, ew, a snake. Tries to kick it and it bites him. It's my vision anyway. I'm a visual guy. Keep, keep verse 15 up there, if you will. Oh, 14, verse 14 and 15. I thought we just had it up there, did we not? Was it up there? Yay. All right. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. All right. So I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So he's talking to the snake and he's talking to Eve. And so he's like, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, meaning the snake and the woman. So the snake is Satan and woman is like the mother of everybody else that has come since then, right? Um, so your offspring and her offspring. Obviously, Eve's offspring is everybody else, ever, any human ever, ever. Um, and then, obviously, the enemy's offspring would be him and his minions. And so, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He's talking about someone that will strike Satan's head, but Satan will also strike his heel. It's interesting, and it's a little deep, but let me paint the picture for you right here. God's first response to the first sin ever was to put a rescue plan in place for all of mankind. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus is the man in that verse. Jesus is the man. Let's put 15 up again one more time. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus came to earth as a human, 100% man. He was also 100% God. And when he died, when Jesus died on the cross, 
He died in the place of a murderer, but he was perfect. He didn't deserve death. And because he didn't deserve death, he struck Satan's head. He, he died. He did die. And he spent three days in hell. But death could not hold him down. And so that's what the striking the heel means was, yeah, Jesus did die. But because he was perfect, he rose from the dead. So in the very beginning of the story, God's first response to sin was Jesus. Before he told Adam that he was going to have to, to work and scratch a living from the ground and have to be a farmer. And, and before he told Eve that she was gonna have a painful childbirth and all this stuff, all the fallout from what sin was, the very first thing that, that God did was put a rescue plan in place, said Jesus is gonna come and die for every single person that will ever live ever. See, where Adam and Eve took something off a tree in sin, God put something on a tree in salvation, and that's Jesus. So what does this mean to you and I? What does it mean to me and you on, on now that we know the beginning, that, that God's first response to sin, God's first response to anything that you would ever do that's against him was Jesus. His first response was love. I think there's a lot of times we can feel ashamed at the things we do. There's a lot of times we can look in the mirror and feel shame. We can try and hide the things in our life. But God's response to that is still Jesus. God's response to every single thing that you do, good or bad, is it's just Jesus. From the beginning of time. And what does eternity look like? Exactly what Eden did, walking in close relationship with God 100% of the time with no fallout because Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price for you and for me. So what I wanna do as we close is I wanna change our posture a little bit. You were created by God. You're a masterpiece. You were put on this planet for a specific purpose and a specific mission. God says that you were worth the death of his son. So with all of that knowledge in your head and with all of the faith in your heart, I just wanna stand up. Stand up like that's who you are. Stand up like you're God's masterpiece. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about what the garden could have looked like Think about what the beginning was. What was the beginning? Close relationship with God, walking with God in the garden. Created, not knowing shame, not knowing fear, not knowing guilt, not knowing uh, downfall, not knowing struggles with lust or struggles with, with sin or any addictions, not knowing divorce, not knowing anything that's ever touched your family. Whole, pure. Jesus paid the price for that and that's obtainable. And now thinking about your life now and where you're at now, where your struggles are at right now. I want you to know that God responded to all of that, all of you with all of him. He responded, Jesus. And so with your eyes closed right now, 
I feel like there's some of us in here that haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus yet, but he's standing here right now saying that you were worth it. You were worth dying for on the cross. And so if you want to, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, if you want to, to give your life to him right now, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. I wanna keep our eyes closed uh, for the, the sanctity of this moment, knowing that this is a special moment just between us and God. And so if you want to pray that prayer in your heart, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, because he already said yes to you from the beginning of time, with eyes closed, I want you to lift your hand up if you wanna say yes to God right now. And if you feel like you've been down and out and you've walked away and you say, Jesus, I'm coming back. I'm coming back right now. I'm coming back to the start of where you called me to be. I wanna be back close to you. I want you to lift your hand up. All right, you guys can drop your hands. I just want everybody to pray this prayer out loud, knowing that, you're, that, that Jesus has given you this access to him right now. Like he's right in front of your face with your eyes closed. Pray this out loud. Jesus, I need you. And I know that you died for me, that you say that I'm worth that. And I know that I've done bad things and I'm sorry. So I lay that at your feet, knowing that you died and rose again for this moment. Come into my heart, Lord. I give you control of my life. I wanna live for you. I wanna live with you forever. Amen. If you guys prayed that prayer, eternity starts right now. If you pray that prayer tonight for the first time or for the 12th time, eternity is here and it is right now. And I challenge you to tell someone, uh, tell one of us pastors, tell me, tell Sean, tell Jail, tell someone because people want to know. Remember, God wants to show off his creation. He created you specific and he created you awesome. You are awesome. And we believe that when we accept Jesus into our heart, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. The same power that rose death from the grave lives inside of you. You should feel powerful and you should feel very dangerous to the enemy. Where shame and guilt and fear and hiding once resided inside of you, it has no longer any power over you. So when you walk out into the halls of your classes, when you walk under the courts and your sports teams, when you walk into your home tonight, when you walk into your bedroom tonight, you are worth it, you are more than enough, you are loved, you are eternal. That's part of who you are. And knowing what the beginning looked like tells you what the end's gonna look like. It's beautiful and it's glorious. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we love you. We thank you for every good and perfect thing comes from you. And I believe, Jesus, that's every single person in this room. God, you made us with your hands. You breathe your life into us, God. So I pray that as we walk out here, the creation feels what your, what your most prized possessions are, and that's your kids. God, I pray as we walk out of here, we can feel filled up, lifted up, known by you. Jesus, that we can feel love, that we no longer can feel fear or shame, or we no longer want to hide, God, that we can have the strength to come against what the enemy no longer has control of, and that's death over us. 
God, we love you and we thank you. I pray for strength and for courage. I pray that you bless every single heart in here. God, I pray that you can give them favor in their schools and their classes and with their families and friends. And Jesus, I pray for closeness with you. We love you, God, in your heavenly name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.